Well, it's been a while, been a long while since I've been here to preach, and I'm really thankful to be here today. So thank you for having me. And as some of you know, I was on staff here from about uh, December 2005 to July of 2011, upon which time I was sent out to to plant St. Patrick's Mission, which we did for about five years. And then I spent the last four years working in an elementary school um, as a family advocate, and now I'm working for an organization called Project 658, which I'll say just a bit about in a second. Um, Those of you who know me know that um, it's very typical for me to start with a joke. You also know that I only have about four jokes. So those of you who know me have already heard this joke, but nonetheless, that's that's where we're gonna go. And this one's actually a little bit of a story Uh, This is a story about a pastor who lived in a town, um, and it's a small town, and there were these two, these two gentlemen who were, they were just scoundrels. They were really bad guys. They took advantage of everyone. They were constantly stealing from widows and orphans and doing all kinds of terrible things you could imagine. And so one of the brothers dies, and the other brother comes to the pastor and says, listen, if you do his funeral, and if you say he's a saint, I'll give you a million dollars. So the pastor says, okay, give me the money. So takes the money, puts it in the bank, comes to the funeral, and he basically spends 30 minutes telling people how terrible this guy was, how he stole from widows and orphans, and how he was constantly getting over on people. And then he said this, but compared to his brother who was sitting right there, he was a saint. <laughs> Pastors are clever people. You've got to keep an eye on them. In all seriousness, it is a great honor to me to be with you today. So thank you for having me. And I'm definitely passionate to share about World Mission Sunday. Today is World Mission Sunday. I, don't, I imagine that most of you woke up knowing that this was World Mission Sunday. That's why you couldn't wait to get here. Like, oh, it's World Mission Sunday. Let's get there. How exciting. Yes, I am really passionate about it. And as many of you know, and I've mentioned briefly just a second ago, I am the, I'm now the family advocate at a, at a place, at a ministry called Project 658, which is a holistic ministry to at-risk families in Charlotte, particularly immigrants and refugees, but really everyone. And our goal is to move families towards sustainability and to offer hope, and real hope is found in Christ. And so that's what we are at work doing. And I mention that because as we think about World Mission Sunday, we often think, well, we we sort of always have this picture of World Mission Sundays means we're gonna send people out to to Africa and India and China and all over the world. And that is part of World Mission Sunday. But one of the great pleasures and honors that we have in the city of Charlotte is that God has been sending the world to us for many years, for at least the last 25 years. God has been sending the people from all over the world to us. And we, one of the reasons we do what we do at Project 658 is because we literally work with people from all over the world. And so... When I, when I talk about World Mission Sunday, it's not that we're necessarily going to be, all of us be sent to, the, to somewhere in the world, but we can all have a, uh, play a role in world missions right here in Charlotte. You, you might not have to um, go to Africa or China, but you can, if you come to East Charlotte, you will find that, it's a, that the world is there. And as an example, 
we have a uh, we we've created a virtual study pod so that so we we've, we're helping some of our families, the most at risk families who couldn't probably either get on internet or um, couldn't help their kids navigate the virtual school environment. So we've created our own pod and we have about 25 elementary school kids enrolled in that, and we have Nepali, Burmese, Vietnamese. We have um, a couple different folks from Latin America, Spanish speaking. We have Congolese, we have Eritrean, and there's a couple more that I'm not remembering. So there's like nine languages and 25 kids. So that gives you a snapshot of the fact that the world has come to Charlotte, uh, particularly East Charlotte. So that's something to keep in mind as we think about world missions and what it looks like for us to live that out. In fact, as I said, I'm very passionate about mission. I, I'm actually extremely biased towards mission. And I think one of the great needs of the church in our day is to move back towards an orientation of mission. Because I think if you look at, if you look at organizing principles, what organized the early church? I would argue, you can, you can disagree, I would argue that the early church was organized around mission. Their lives revolved around mission. And that really every person who came to know Christ believed that they had a responsibility to let their neighbors know about Christ. And that's one of the reasons that the church grew so fast in those early days. There's a lot of reasons, but that's one of them. And so the organizing principle was mission. Their worship flowed out of that mission. Today, I think we have made our organizing principle in general worship. And then we sometimes see mission flow out of that. But I, I think personally, again, you can disagree and I'm not going to try to convince you today, but I want you to know where my heart is and, and bring this message to you that really, I think we need to flip our focus completely. And it's, and I think that that's a call for our day, but anyway, agree or disagree. We'll talk more about that offline if you want. So I want to do three things to focus on, on what it means to be missional Christians in this world. What does that look like for us? How do we live that out? So we're going to reflect on three things. First, we're going to reflect on God's call. What is God's call for his people when we think about mission? Secondly, what is the outcome of God's call? What does it look like when we have lived that out? And thirdly, we're going to look at how to move from God's call to the outcome. And that's where we're going to spend most of our time. But that's the three things we're going to look at. So before we go any further, I think we should ask the Lord to bless, bless us and open our hearts to his word. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are the sent one. You were sent to us to save us. And now you send us out into the world. I pray that this day you would kindle our hearts anew to not only know you better, but to make you known. And we pray that you would give us the strength and the wisdom to walk according to your purposes in this day. We pray in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Okay, so we're going to jump in. The first thing we're going to reflect on is God's call. And I am going to keep an eye on the time because I don't want to talk to you. I don't want to talk you guys to death. I'd rather talk you to life. Wouldn't that be better? So, yeah, you can say yes, that would be better. Yes, yeah, there you go. Just making sure. It's cold. You might be sleeping. Let's wake up. Um, so we're going to reflect on God's call, which we heard of in the gospel. And I'm just going to read that again for us. It says this. 
Matthew 28, 16 through 20. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. So this is our call. This is the call of every Christian. This is the Great Commission. This is what we are all called to. Now, does that mean every one of us is going to be sent to the mission field in the traditional sense? Well, obviously, no. That doesn't make a lot of sense, does it? But it does mean we have a job to do. It does mean that we have a call. Each one of us is called to make disciples in our context. Every one of us has that responsibility. We are all sent to do that. We are to live our lives in such a way that the people around us begin to know Jesus. We are to live our lives in such a way that the people around us begin to know Jesus. That is an audacious task, but that is our call. But don't worry about it because the first disciples... They saw Jesus crucified, and then they saw him resurrected, and they are there with him, and they are still doubting the call. So it's okay. Sometimes we will doubt the call, but the fact is we have a call. It is a call for every single one of us, not just for the professional Christians who wear the white robes, for instance. In fact... Wearing white robes is a representation of you because you heard in Revelations, it was a picture of all of God's people wearing white. That's why we wear the white, to represent you, to show that we are all transformed into Christ. We're just a picture for you. We're not smarter or better than you, except for that one pastor who took the million dollars. He was clever. We're just ordinary, just, we're all the same. We all have a call. It may look different. The scope may be different, but we all have a call to make disciples in our context. We all have the call to make Jesus known. Every single one of us. So that's the challenge, but the challenge leads to a beautiful outcome. And that's the picture that we heard in Revelation. I just was alluding to Revelation 7, 9 through 17. I want to read a couple of those verses again. Starting in verse 9. After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands, and they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb. All the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. They fell down on their faces before the throne of God and worshiped, saying, Amen. Praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honor and power and strength be to our God forever and ever. The outcome of our mission in the world is a beautiful picture. The outcome is a multicultural, multi-ethnic, multilingual church, a people, praising God together with one voice. That is the outcome of the call. So how are we doing as this church? How are we doing? Well, there is some great news. There's some really good news. There are Christians worshiping together all over the world. 
The church is multicultural, multi-ethnic, and multilingual. Right here in Charlotte, that's true too. There are churches from all over the world meeting together. But sadly, we're a long way, especially in our context, when we think about our context here in the United States, we are a long way from worshiping God together with one voice. The church is multi-ethnic. It is every tribe and tongue and nation, and yet it's not unified, especially in our context. And this is not a sermon on racial reconciliation, but I think it is very important in this day that all Christians start thinking about racial reconciliation because God is bringing his people together, all of his people. He's at work to do that. And if I could say one hard word, and I would ask you to receive it with grace because it's spoken with grace and love. The fact of the matter is that we as the white church, we need to repent. We need to repent of racial divisions that we have sometimes caused and very often perpetuated. That's our, that should be our posture in this day. Because the call is for us to repent, to be renewed in relationship, and to begin to praise God together in one voice. Our God is going to be faithful to what he has said. And he has said in Revelation 7 that the picture is everyone worshiping together. And it is our job to move towards that in this day. So I would ask you all to really pray about that, consider that. Again, we're not talking about that today, but I did want to mention that. Okay, so where are we? How are we doing? All right, we're, we're doing great. I'm doing great. Y'all doing great? Good. Okay. Let's keep moving. Um, we've reflected on God's call. We've reflected on the outcome of God's call. Now we're going to reflect on how we move towards that call. And I want to do that by talking about four different aspects of how to move towards the call. And we're actually going to look at the parallel gospel passage for World Mission Sunday briefly, which is Mark chapter 1, 29 through 39. I'm going to read parts of it and tell you parts of it. But I would encourage you to go home and read that today. Spend some time thinking about that. So the story begins. um, Well, actually, let me tell you what the four things we're going to be looking for are in the passage. We're going to be be looking at four ways to move from God's call to the outcome of God's call. One is to serve. Two is to silence. Three is to seek. And four is to search. To serve, to silence, to seek, and to search. And that's what we'll find in Mark Chapter 1. And I want to begin with a question. So the first question is, how, how do we respond to the work of Christ in our lives? What is the goal for us? What do we do in response to what Christ has done for us? I think a great picture of that is in Mark chapter 1. Because the story starts, and they're in the home of Simon and Andrew. And Simon's mother-in-law gets sick. And so Jesus goes and he takes her by the hand and she is healed. And what does she immediately begin to do? She begins to serve. The call for God's people when we recognize how much we've been blessed, when we receive his comfort, when we receive the transformation in our lives, the call is for us then to serve 
in this world. That is the call. We are, of all people, most blessed and therefore most called to serve. Psalm 67, verses 1 and 2 reminds us of, of, of this. It says this, May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine on us so that your ways may be known on earth, your salvation among all nations. You see that verse 1 is the beginning of the great ironic blessing. It is the incredible blessing that God offers his people. And what the psalmist is saying, may we be incredibly blessed so that the world may know him. We are blessed and our role is to see others know him. So we serve, but also we silence. We also silence. We're called to serve, but we're also called to silence. Next in Mark's gospel, we see a multitude of sick and demon possessed people brought to Jesus and he begins to heal them. And it says something very interesting. It says, he would not allow the demons to speak. You see, Jesus silenced the voice of the enemy. And I'm not going to use this to go into a lesson on spiritual warfare, although I think it's important. I do think it's very important, especially in this day. But I want to remind us that the presence and the person of Jesus, his presence, his person, silences the voice of the enemy. And it is our call to walk in that same kind of authority. It's the authority that he has. We can live in this world in such a way that demonic voices are silenced. When we live like Jesus. When we live like him. His person, his presence are more powerful than the voices of malice and hatred and injustice and oppression that we see today. When we live like Jesus, we will see hatred and justice and justice transformed by love and wisdom. How do we do that? We do that by living by the fruit of the spirit. In the kingdom of heaven, it is not only doing the right thing, it is doing it in the right way. And that is the fruit of the spirit way. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness and self-control. When we as his people live that way, the voice of the enemy will be silenced. The voice of the enemy will lose power. So we must serve and we must silence. The next one's simple but absolutely vital to the whole missional life. We seek. And what do we seek? We seek the heart of the Father. And now I'm going to read to you one of my favorite verses in all of Scripture. Mark 135. It says this, Before daybreak the next morning, Jesus got up and went out to an isolated place to pray. Before daybreak the next morning, Jesus got up and went out to an isolated place to pray. I lost my notes. Man, it's a challenge out here in the wind. Okay. I like challenges. Jesus seeks the heart of his father. When the disciples come back the next morning, they finally find Jesus. They say, Jesus, things are going great here. We've got a great mission set up. We're reaching all these people. Let's go to work. And Jesus says, I've been praying all night, and I know I'm called to go to the next town. I'm called to the next thing. Okay, well, we can finish without it, maybe. Let me find if I can find the last page. Come, Holy Spirit, blow on us. 
Yeah, that can stay there. That's all right. Better hold it. Okay. That doesn't count. That that 30 seconds doesn't count in my sermon time. So I still got more time. Okay. We have to seek the heart of the Father. The, the great thing about that story is that when Jesus goes out to where he goes out, he, the first thing he does is encounter a guy with leprosy. And he, the leper says, if you are willing, you can make me clean. And Jesus touches him and makes him clean. He offers touch. He offers transformation. And so it came, though, from seeking the Father from his heart. And so we, we have to serve. We have to silence the voice of the enemy. And then we have to seek the heart of the Father to know what to do and what not to do. Great intentions can lead us down the wrong path sometimes if we're not in tune with the will of the Father. And, and then the final thing is that we search. We search who are the people around us. Who are the people around us who need to know the love of Christ? Maybe they're in our home. Maybe they're in our neighborhood. Maybe they're at our work. Anyone can do world missions. It starts in the world that you live in. And maybe you'll be sent further and further. I don't know your call. But we begin where, where we are. And that's how we move into it. We pray. We invest in the kingdom. We pursue relationships, especially with those who do, do not know him. And we invite people to encounter him, to know what we know. We all have work to do, every single one of us. So let us serve, let us silence, let us seek, and let us search. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.